chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. So we finished verse 15 last week. Colossians chapter 2, and I think we went to verse 15 last week. And then if you notice how verse 16 opens, it says, So let no one judge you in food or drink. Now the word so there means so then or therefore. So what we have here in verse 16 is based on what was said in the previous passage. And last week we learned that when Christ died on the cross, the law was nullified. Uh, especially the ceremonial law, like keeping the Sabbath, circumcision, and all that kind of stuff. And therefore, because uh, Christ nailed the law to the cross, and that's a metaphor, by the way, isn't it? When I say he, when the scripture says he nailed it to the cross, when he died on the cross, they didn't take a copy of the Ten Commandments and nail it with him, did they? No. So it's just a way of Paul saying, guess what? When he died, the law died with him. Okay? Therefore, guess what? You owe nothing to the law. Okay? You're not under an obligation to keep the law. We also learned last week that we are complete in Christ. And we said, if you're complete, then there's nothing more to add. Complete means what? It means complete, that's right. So, Christ is not only necessary, he's enough. You don't need any more than Christ. You don't need Christ plus the law. So now we come to verse 16, and you have the therefore, the so then, and here's what he says. So, in light of what we've just said, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths. In other words, resist uh, people who are trying to put you under these Old Testament ceremonies. Another way of translating it could be, never let anyone do that to you, or stop letting them um, judge you in food or drink. It's probably happening right now. When Paul's writing this, these people are being pressured to go back under the law, or to go under the law. And they are to resist it at all costs. Okay? Because that law has no power over them now. So, verse 16 is actually a command. And there are two commands in this passage. So we're going to look at each one of these commands. Command number one, in verse 16, and it deals with two issues. First, diet. See that? Diet. Let no one judge you in food or in drink. Now this has to do with cleanliness, the laws of cleanliness. Um, I grew up in Baltimore as a child. And Baltimore is known for its seafood, especially salt shellfish. You know, shrimp and clams and you know, oysters and crabs and thing, blue crabs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if you love seafood, it's a seafood paradise. But I had friends who did not eat this seafood. And you know why? They were Orthodox Jews. And they would not eat any fish that didn't have fins. Because they considered that unclean. So, if they lived in Texas and they were Orthodox Jews, and I said, we're going to go out and eat some catfish. They would say, no indeed, we're not going to eat the catfish. 
because the catfish is a dirty fish. It's a scavenger. And this deals with a law of cleanliness. So this diet has to deal with cleanliness. And so Jews will only eat kosher food. Now what did Jesus say? Jesus said, it's not that which goes into the body that defiles, but what? That which comes out, which comes out of the heart. Remember Peter? He was up on the roof of the house of Simon the Tanner, and he falls into a trance, and he saw a sheet come down from heaven. And on the sheet were pictures of all these unclean animals. And a voice came from heaven and said, Eat! And Peter said, No, Lord! Contradicts Peter. Even even when he's having a vision, Peter contradicts the Lord. Did you ever notice that? Always putting his feet and foot in his mouth. He said, no. He said, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, that which I've called clean, don't you call unclean. So, in Christ, we're complete. And there's no more clean and unclean food. This deals with diet. We're not under that law anymore. Okay. Now, the second issue dealt with in verse 16. Diet, and next Days. Look at that. We go from cleanliness to the calendar. Let no one judge you regarding a festival. Or a, and a festival would be like the Feast of Tabernacles and say that you have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You have to keep the Feast of Passover. You have to keep the Feast of so on and so forth. Don't let anybody tell you that. Judge you. You don't do that. You must not be a real believer. Or a new moon. Or Sabbaths. And... The new moon was uh, the new moon of each month. And when the new moon came out, and the Sabbaths, and there were many kinds of different Sabbaths, you didn't work anymore. You didn't have to work that day. It was like a day off. And so they're judging you because you're not doing those things. And then he describes all of this, all these laws, these ceremonial laws. Look in verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come. So that's how Paul describes the laws. They're types or shadows. Now, a shadow uh, has no substance. Think about that. A shadow doesn't exist by itself. It doesn't. Something has to cast a shadow. Something that's real has to cast a shadow. So the shadow doesn't exist. It has to have something real or tangible to cast that shadow. Now, notice shadows point to something. Look what it says in verse 17. Shadows of things to come, see, but the substance is of Christ. So shadows are pointing to something that is real. And uh, if you saw a shadow at the edge of a building, you would know that there was somebody around the corner of that building who was casting that shadow. Because shadows have no substance, but shadows point to something, and here it says they point to something that are that's to come. So these Old Testament shadows or types pointed to something, and what they pointed to there is Messiah, or Christ, at the end of verse 17. So we say they are foreshadows. Or before shadows. <laughs> The shadow comes before the reality comes, and they point to that which is coming. And Christ is the one who casts the shadow. Now, that tells us something, that behind all shadows there is, there is a reality. But the shadow itself 
even though you know there's a reality there and you see the person's shadow, the shadow is very vague if you just look at a shadow. Right? Uh, you can't tell what texture the person's hair is if you look at the shadow only. You can't tell whether the person has blue eyes or whether the person has green eyes by looking at the shadow. Okay? You can't tell whether the person is uh, what color their skin is. You can't tell whether they're Asian. You can't tell whether they're Anglo. You can't tell whether they're African. You cannot tell the person's skin color by looking at the shadow. Okay? Now, the law pointed to the Messiah, but it was very vague. It didn't give you the details. But when the Messiah came, you could tell it was his shadow. Because his profile fit the shadow. Remember the old television show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents? First thing that comes on the screen is what? The shadow, and then Alfred Hitchcock himself walks into the picture, and he fits right into the profile of the shadow, and you say, oh, that was his shadow. Well, the shadows are very vague, but you know whose shadow it is, and we know it's Christ's shadow because when he steps in, his profile fits the profile of the shadow. So we say the law points to Christ. Okay? So, once you have the real thing, once you have the real person, you stop looking at the shadow. See? If I see a shadow coming from around the edge of the building, I look at the shadow, but when the person's there, guess what I stop doing? I stop looking at the shadow and I start embracing, oh, it's you, and I embrace the person. Cannot embrace a shadow. You ever try to hug a shadow? Can't hug a shadow. So, shadows always give way to substance. So the reflection and the representation always gives way to reality. And uh, that's what the law does. The law gives way to Christ. And once Christ comes, the law is not necessary. Therefore, he gives us a command. Don't let anyone judge you in the law. Resist at all costs. Does that make sense? Okay, let's look at command number two. That's found in verse 18. <coughs> Notice the same way it starts off as verse 16. Let no one. See, that's the same thing. Could mean stop letting someone, never let someone. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Let no one beguile you. Let no one deprive you of your reward. And the word there refers is a, a, a word that deals uh, it's an athletic word that deals with the Olympics. We have the Winter Olympics coming up. And it speaks of the act by which an umpire disqualifies a person from a race. Maybe because they've done something wrong and they're disqualified from the race. And that's what he's saying. Don't let anyone disqualify you from your reward. And the reason they would disqualify you is because they would say you're not keeping the law the way you should, and therefore you're disqualified. Does that make sense? So that's what it's saying. So this is someone who's trying to derail the Colossians from their reward, which speaks of future salvation. It speaks about the time when Christ comes and we're resurrected and we enter the kingdom of God in its fullness. And it says, you know, don't allow anyone to deprive you of your 
<coughs> salvation, basically. So there's someone here, likely in the church, as we're going to see, who's trying to deprive these people of their salvation. Now remember, the Colossians have already professed their faith in Christ. They've been baptized, right? And here's somebody trying to get them to drop out of the race. Who are these people? The rest of verses 18 and 19 describe the people who are trying to get them to drop out of the race. These are the antagonists. And it hit me this week when I was looking through this passage. It's describing these people who are trying to derail the Colossians and the same kind of people who are trying to derail us as well. So look what it says in verse 18. Here's, let no one deprive you of your reward. Now here's what they look like. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Intruding into those things which has not been seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body is nourished, and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Okay, now notice about these people, the first thing is they delight in something. You see, they take delight in something. Here's what they delight in. Look at that, verse 18. They delight in false humility. Do you see that? And they also delight in the worship of angels. Okay. I'm going to label this, this is what they do. This is what they do. What do they do? They delight. They delight in what? False humility. Now they have said, well, we do these things. We keep this law. We deprive ourselves. Uh, we're involved in self-denial. And guess what? We're proud of it. <laughs> they, they brag about it. That's what they are. Notice it's false humility. What's false humility? It's the opposite of humility, and therefore it's pride. These are very <laughs> proud people. And they're taking pride in the fact that they are humbling themselves and denying themselves. You know, I have a, a friend who signs all these letters this way. Every letter he ever writes. Your humble servant. You know what that tells me? He has to tell you he's your, your humble servant. So here are these, that's a false humility that they have. That's number one. And they delight in this false humility. They delight in being, they're proud of it. And then, he says, they delight in the worship of angels. See that? Now, we don't know if they're worshiping angels or they delight in watching angels worship. And it may be this latter because it seems like they're, they claim they're having visions. Because look what it says in the middle of verse 18. Intruding into those things which has not been what? Seen. Do you see that? It's nothing you can see with your physical eyes. So it could be that they're saying, well, you know, when you fast and you deprive yourself and you, know, you live in a, uh, a life of self-denial, uh, visions will open up to you. And 
they claim that they have seen angels worship. Does that make sense to me? Remember Isaiah the prophet? Suddenly he's caught up and he says, uh, he was caught up to the throne of God in Isaiah, was it 61? Remember when he saw the angels? The, the Lord was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels fell down and they said, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. Remember that? Well, here was Isaiah having this vision, and it was a real vision of angels. But guess what? These are false visions. These are not, these are either, they're not visions from God, that much I know, because it says, intruding into those things which has not been seen. Now look at this last phrase in verse 18. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You see, the origin of these visions is the fleshly mind. It's the old nature. It's the fallen nature. It comes from their own imaginations. They're claiming that they have had these visions. But this is all, look how it's described. Vainly puffed up. Vainly means empty. If something's puffed up and it's empty, what's it full of? Hot air. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the kind of people that are trying to derail the Colossians. See? So, Watch out for people who say, well, I you know, was caught up into heaven. I had these visions. And they tell you all about it. And uh, uh, they say, oh, I'm just a humble servant. You know, I wasn't worthy of having the vision. Blah, 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 blah. There's a whole series of books out right now about people who said they've been caught up into heaven. One's called Heaven is Real. It's about a kid who died and went to heaven. You know what I say to that? There's a Greek word for that. Balderdash. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> Or, and there's a medical doctor, and he has written a book called Heaven or Proof of Heaven. Oh, I've sold millions of copies. I've got a book called Heaven on Earth. I haven't sold seven copies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Heaven on Earth. He's talking about going up to heaven, and he claims it's proof for heaven. And uh, you know, the Apostle Paul was called up to heaven. And you know what he said? I can't talk about it. He said, I've been charged with not saying anything about it. See, but these people are going to tell you the whole story. And they're bragging about it, making millions of dollars about it, just the opposite of, of a real vision. These are not real visions. These are visions of their own making, their own imagination, vainly puffed up by his, look, not enlightened mind, but fleshly mind. This is this fallen mind. And then look what else it says about him in verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. Do you see that? That's Christ, isn't it? They don't hold on to Christ. They want something else. See? They're letting go of Christ. Uh, the fact that they don't hold on to Christ seems to me that they could possibly be church members. Uh, false teachers who are trying, maybe, maybe Jewish believers in the church. Who are not holding on, not clinging to Christ, but letting go and going after all these other things. You see. So uh, they've severed their relationship with Christ, the head. They may have professed Christ, they may have been baptized by Christ, but there's no perseverance. They're going after all these other things. Uh, we're just not sure. But they're not holding to Christ, the A to Z, because they are letting go and going after the ABCs that we talked about last week. And then it describes Christ, the head, from whom all the body is nourished. 
Look at that. For whom all the body is nourished, and this is another metaphor, uh, and knit together by joints and ligaments. Uh, notice that Christ is the, the source of all the nourishment for the body. Look. From whom some of the body is nourished? What does it say? All the body is nourished. Why would I want to cut myself off from the nourishment and the church cut itself off from the one who's the source of the nourishment and knits that body together? And then at the end it says, grows with the increase that is from God. Grows from the increase that is from God. So we see that the source is Christ the head and the growth is from God. God the Father. So that's describing these people. They delight in false humility, the worshiping of angels. Uh, they do not hold on to the head where you really get nourishment. So guess what? They're not getting any nourishment. They're not holding on to God where the body grows, so they're not growing. So they're really spiritual pygmies. So now he goes back to the church, back to the audience that he's writing to, and he sort of draws this conclusion in verse 20. He says, therefore. See, now he's going to start talking about that audience, his audience. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, that was the ABCs of the law, the rules, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to the regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of who? Men. Why are you doing that? Why are you falling into that trap and listening to these people? Now, if I unpack this for you just a little bit, the first thing you say is, he says is, therefore, if you died with Christ, or since you died with Christ. And this, again, is a reference to being baptized. We were baptized with Christ, and we die, the old person dies when we go down that symbolic of death. He says, you died with Christ, you died from the principles, from the law. ABC. That's what happened when we trusted Christ and we were baptized. The old person died, the law died with us. Then he asked the question, why, as though living in the world... But we don't live in the world. We're not of the world. But he's saying, why, as though you were still living in the world, do you subject yourself to the regulations? Why are you giving in? See? And that's what they're doing. They're giving in. That's why he's telling them they need to resist. Don't let people do this to you. Why are you giving in? And then he gives you some of the things. This is probably a, a motto that the people use. Don't touch. Don't taste. Don't handle Live ascetic life. Keep the law. Watch out what you eat. Don't touch this. Don't touch a dead body. Blah, 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 blah. All these ceremonial things. So why do you do that? And then he says in verse 22, which all concern things which what? Perish. They have no lasting value, no lasting worth. Look. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, not God. You see that? Why are you doing that? Uh, this is Paul's argument here. Now look at verse 23, which is very interesting. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They sound good at first blush. I should keep Saturday. I should do this, eat this food. On 
first look, it sounds pretty good. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Look at this. Wisdom where? In self-imposed religion. False humility. And the neglect of the body. It sounds good, doesn't it? At first blush, but it only sounds good if you're involved in a self-imposed religion. Is that the kind of religion we follow? Or do we find a, re a religion of revelation? God's revealing truth. False humility, though, no, or humility that they call humility. Neglect of the body, no, that's, first glance it sounds good, but that's not really good. Because look what it says at the end of verse 23. But are of no value, how much value? No value, against the indulgence of the flesh. Rules have no power over your life. Rules cannot tame the old nature, the fallen nature. They have no power. Man-made religion cannot save you. Man-made religion cannot conquer the old man, cannot free you, cannot set you free of your addictions. Only Christ can do that. So, when you look at the passage, there's a couple key concepts. Number one, they have no value. Right there. So how much value do these ceremonial laws have for you? What would you say? None. No value. They're shadows. Shadows are what? They have substance? No substance. <laughs> when the reality shows up, how? what are the shadows worth? They're not worth anything. Christ is the fulfillment. We have the reality before us. Why in the world are we still trying to get back and look at the shadows. We are complete in Christ. We need to resist all attempts to pull us under these laws of Moses uh, rather than the grace of Christ. And so that's what Paul said. Now, next week I'm going to start at chapter 3 and verse 1 and look how that opens up. <clears throat> if then you were raised with Christ. Do you see that? Now look back at verse 20. Therefore, if you what? Died with Christ. Here's what you need to know. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 3, therefore, if you are raised with Christ, here's what you need to do. Seek those things which are above. Verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above. So on and so forth. And so we see the second half of his message. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, this word, may many of us be strengthened by our conviction that in Christ we are complete. Uh, that in Christ we can experience full forgiveness. We have full value. We are restored totally to your image. That we have forgiveness and grace. Oh, Lord, help us not to settle for the ABCs when we have the A to Z, Jesus Christ himself. In his name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.